Do you invest your money strictly in stocks and bonds? If so, it's time to change that. Welcome to Approach Investing Differently with me, Stephen Rosen from Hightower Bethesda. I've been advising clients for over 20 years on how to invest in alternative investments, and I'll explain why you should dedicate a percentage of your investable assets to hedge funds, private equity, and real estate in order to maximize returns and create a more efficient investment portfolio. Now, on to the show. Alternative investments are just that, alternatives to stocks, bonds, and cash. There are also different types of these investments and different ways one can invest. I'm Patrice Sikora. Your podcast host, Stephen Rosen, is here to explain liquid alternatives and what role, if any, they can play in an investment strategy. Now, Stephen, we spent a lot of time discussing illiquid options. What are liquid alternatives and how are they used? Thanks, Patrice. Um, so liquid alternatives are used similar to illiquid alternatives in terms of your goals and objectives, but there's a lot more nuances, I think, that are very important to understand, or I won't say a lot more, but there's more nuances to understand in terms of liquid alternatives because the benefits of an illiquid investment is the fact that the the lack of volatility, the type of structure, the type of investments that they own are not really meant to be traded on a day-to-day basis. And because of that, that's what helps reduce the volatility. It's what helps enhance the returns. You can't really get that type of investment feel and experience in a liquid alternative because they can't really own those securities or you know, shouldn't be owning those securities that aren't able to be traded. They need to own things that are liquid. And and so that's one of the reasons why we are very careful with how we utilize liquid alternatives, because we're trying to achieve the same objectives that we do in our illiquid portfolios, which is steady rates of returns and low volatility. But the truth of the matter is, is we've done a tremendous amount of research on a tremendous amount of funds over the course of the last you know, five to 10 to 15 years as this market has evolved. And it's really difficult to find good funds to, to, to do. A lot of times funds will call themselves alternatives or they'll talk about the different strategies and hedging strategies that they can employ. And the truth of the matter is, is when the rubber meets the road, they don't really do what they expect them to do. A lot of these funds have what are called back-tested strategies. And we tell you, oh, how? This is how it would have worked in this environment. (laughs) And they give you these returns. And now they do, you know, say this is how it would have worked. It's back-tested. But I can tell you from doing this for almost 30 years, I've never seen a back-tested uh, strategy that didn't look good. Uh, okay. So the one thing that we know is that markets ebb and flow for different reasons. It's usually not for the same reasons as in the past. So to always expect things are going to perform as they did under different circumstances is is naive. And so backtesting doesn't really work. And we've seen that as we've looked at different funds uh, that become new funds, and we're going to make this strategy, um, quote unquote, liquid. And and what is liquid? Because I think that's a very important understanding exactly. as we start into this conversation. So as we've talked about in our prior podcasts, e-liquid investments, e-liquid funds um, are designed to not be sold on a day-to-day basis. 
They're not designed to be sold on a monthly basis. And generally, they're not designed to be sold on a quarterly basis. Okay. They are meant to be purchased, held for extended periods of time. The best way we always feel to do is to, you know, stage the money in. This is our capital call structure funds that we've discussed for mm-hmm. private real estate and private credit um, and private equity, um, because there you're buying over a period of time. You're holding your investment through the life cycle that you want to hold it through, and then you sell it, or the manager sells it and gives you back the money, and you go into this knowing that you're not going to get your money back. Okay. Um, and that's really the best way to do it. And even on the hedge fund side, um, we want to have these quarterly liquidity opportunities. Um, generally, these funds have a maximum that they're willing to do on the hedge fund side and sell on a quarterly basis. Some are even annual because they're trading in instruments that are illiquid and they want to have a, a period of time to know that investors are going to get out. Um, and so they can prep for it. Exactly. Okay? Liquid investments don't have that available don't don't have that structure okay liquid investments that are sometimes done in the form of an ETF which is an exchange traded fund or a mutual fund they generally have uh, daily liquidity okay some funds have monthly liquidity and some more popular and I'll get to them in a, in a little while uh what are called interval funds are having quarterly liquidity well you're taking e-liquid investments and now turning them into liquid investments, and it creates a mismatch. And so what happens in a lot of these mutual funds, particularly, um, is that they don't really have the ability to access the types of investments that we look at in our private funds, because truthfully, you can't put a private non-traded investment in a mutual fund. It's actually not legal, let alone giving you the ability to do it. So like we talked about on the private credit side, and this is a good example um, with respect to bank loans. And we talked about the term syndicated versus not syndicated. Okay. And syndicated bank loans are basically these very large pools of bank loans um, that, you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry and Sally can invest in. Okay. Um, every mutual fund company can own a piece of them. They're publicly traded. Um, they ebb and flow with the markets a little bit and supply and demand plays a key role in their pricing, um, versus private bank loans where there's one or two or three or four investors. No one's really selling them until they get to maturity. There's no new supply. There's no new demand and they're a lot less volatile. Those are two different strategies and the performance that we see in bad market cycles for for those uh, is very, very different. Um, and so that's one example of you know a liquid versus illiquid uh, type of investment, but it gets even deeper and we'll talk about real estate in a minute and how that is and private equity and how those are kind of filtering it in. But as we talk about the mutual funds, and we've experienced this a lot because we've really searched because we do use um, liquid alternatives. It's very important. I don't want think people to go through this conversation thinking that we don't, and we do. We utilize them uh, for for two two purposes. Um, number one, clients who don't qualify for some of these private investments. As we talked about, you generally need to be a qualified purchaser, which is $5 million or more with high minimums as far as a net worth is concerned. Um, accredited investors, generally $2 million of a net worth or more also uh, with higher minimums, whereas mutual funds, uh, anyone can generally access them. 
Okay. And they can access them with a lot lower minimums. So if we have a client who doesn't meet the criteria of some of the private investments, we still want to bring our philosophy of utilizing alternatives into play for them. And so we've spent a lot of time, effort, energy, um, finding funds that we think can fit that, that model for them. There's no one fund, just so any, everybody knows, we feel that does it all. What we finally have been able to do is find three or four funds that work together, and we kind of blend them in a way that creates a good liquid portfolio for them. But the funds themselves are going to be doing slightly different things, but they all have one thing in common, and is that they're investing in liquid markets. Okay, so for example, we have one fund um, that hedges out some risk and they buy equities and they buy um, puts. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they also then do what sell is called selling calls. And so, what they essentially are doing is they're capping their upside a little bit, they're protecting their downside on a quarterly basis, they get some good upside in the markets, um, they limit the downside, but it's all being done with publicly traded securities um, and options. Okay not anything that's illiquid. So if anybody needed to buy or sell that fund on a daily basis, they're trading in instruments that are priced every single second of every single day, and they're easily traded. Okay. Then there's another fund that we look at that's more of what we call an event-driven uh, alternative. Basically, what these guys are generally trying to do are capture nickels and dimes between companies that are buying each other. Uh, when company A announces they're going to buy company B, there's traditionally a spread because mm -hmm. there's always uncertainty that that deal might go through. So uh, if I'm going to buy Proudmouth, for example, and you're a publicly traded company, I say, I'm going to buy for $10 a share, it's probably going to trade at about $9.50 or $9.75 until the deal closes. So I'll buy you know, Proudmouth and I'll short my company stock and I'll capture that delta for when the deal closes. Okay. Again, what are we doing? We're buying and shorting liquid stocks, things that trade on a daily basis. We're not tracking it anything that's illiquid. And then another fund that we own is called sort of like a macro fund. They have the ability to buy and sell and, and buy and go long and short both stocks and bonds. Um, but again, it's all in liquid traded stocks. Um, they don't have really the ability to utilize leverage, which sometimes enhances certain portfolios for our hedge funds because there's certain rules and restrictions about what they can do. And so at the end of the day, we've, we've blended and created an, a, a liquid portfolio that we think makes a lot of sense for clients. Um, but again, we'll always tell them it is not going to be to the same level uh, of returns that we are seeing and will see with our private investments because the private investments are just, they're just different. And that's why we prefer them. Um, but again, it's important to understand that not all alternative funds are created equally, particularly in the liquid space. And it's very important to recognize what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve, and whether or not those investments are truly liquid inside those funds. Because if they're not liquid and people have to sell them, you're then going to get squeezed on pricing and that's going to clearly end up hurting performance. Now, you should understand all this going into one of these investments, right? Yes. And again, this all comes back to what we say all the time is, you know, who's who's driving the car and making sure that 
you have someone who's providing you the advice, who understands the nuances of all of these things, if you're going to get into the space. This is not buying an index. You know, this is these are, I don't want to say complex investment vehicles because they're not, particularly on the mutual fund side, they're not complex. But I think you have to have the understanding about what the objectives are and the advisors clearly should should have them if they're going to be recommending them to their clients. And so again, those are your daily liquid, your mutual fund oriented things. A um, little bit more nuanced are the what have become very, very, very popular over the last couple of years, uh, which are what are called interval funds. And interval funds are basically pseudo private funds where you can traditionally buy um, sometimes on a daily basis, um, other times on a monthly basis. And these interval funds are both available for private credit. Um, private real estate and sometimes and private equity as well. And these interval funds are basically long lasting, what we call evergreen investment vehicles. There's really no, there, there's no end date to them whatsoever. Unlike as we've talked about in the past, a lot of our capital call structured private equity and private credit and private real estate funds where there's a start and a finish. Okay. We invest our capital over a several year period. They invest, they return the money and the fund eventually ends. These interval funds, there is no end in sight. So liquidity is very important. And the liquidity is offered on these interval funds generally on a quarterly basis. And there's nuances to those that is very important to understand um, because they don't allow entire liquidity for the overall fund. Okay. Usually these in, the, these funds themselves, and we'll talk about how it affects the different strategies that are out there, but these interval funds traditionally allow a certain percent to be sold on a given month, maxing out a certain percentage for each individual quarter. And that can create a scenario, and we're actually seeing it in the world today right now with two very large real estate funds, whereby um, people want to get out and they can't. They can only get a portion of their money out. And that, of course, only happens in times of stress in the world, because when everything is good and rosy, no one's looking to sell. But all of a sudden, when things get a little wonky and people want to get their money out, and now all of a sudden they can't get their money out, they're like, well, why do I own these things? And it creates a little bit of a black eye, and more so because people aren't understanding what they are. Now, we utilize these interval funds. We think they're very, very valuable because, again, um, they're pseudo-liquid. They're not completely liquid, but they're pseudo-liquid investments, but they're tracking in illiquid investments. And they put these kind of guardrails up to protect the investors who are buying them for the right reasons, who want to own them for a long period of time. But now, now in, can Tom Dick and Sally get into one of these? Yeah. So in most instances, um, it's a great question. So the benefit of liquid investments is that they become much more accessible to the average investor. And we talked about the you know qualified purchasers, accredited investors, even on the interval fund side, much lower minimums, both on a dollar level, much lower level, much much lower minimums as far as an accreditation standpoint. So that yeah, most everybody can get in, and that becomes you know what makes it attractive. The problem is is that when you start taking. I, uh, unsophisticated is not necessarily maybe a fair term because I'm sure there's many sophisticated investors who just don't have a high net worth. But 
The SEC doesn't necessarily see that, as that's why they put these minimums on there. The SEC, for right or wrong, assumes if you don't have a lot of money, you're unsophisticated. I think it's kind of unfair. Um, but if we go judge with what the SEC has to say, these unsophisticated investors are putting money in illiquid uh, investments. Um, and I don't always know if they're being guided or fully understand that you might not be able to get your money back. And I think that's very important because we do have a scenario right now, and I won't name the funds themselves, but we have one fund who um, is allowing, most of these funds allow like 2% a month mm-hmm. to get redeemed and, and about 5% for a given quarter. Um, one fund got about 6% redemption requests. One got about 3%. So in instance, one of these funds is only giving back uh, a third of the client's capital who requested to get out. Um, one's giving back two thirds. And so that really creates a very uncertain situation because people I don't think understood that they couldn't get their money out. And so it is always about communication and education, explaining to your clients why you're owning something that it's not meant for a short-term investment. And that because you're investing in an illiquid asset, particularly in private equity um, and private real estate, credit's a little bit different nuance, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But when you're dealing with private equity and private real estate, you're really looking at long-term investments. And if you buy something and all of a sudden, six months later, you're like, yeah, I don't want it. It's not really the purpose of investing in real estate. Okay. And you probably shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. Um, And my biggest concern is that it's going to create a black eye. For the liquid alternative space and maybe alternatives in general, but particularly the liquid space. And the liquid space is really, really valuable. Like there's a lot of really good investments that are out there for investors um, to access, both on the mutual fund side and the interval fund side. The key is really understanding the nuances behind them, um, what the risks are both from an investment standpoint and a liquidity standpoint, and making sure you understand them fully before you go into them. Because I can tell you in talking to prospects who are currently in in the situation with one of these funds, they had no clue they couldn't really get their money out when they wanted it. Oh, no, they're shocked. Wow. And, And they're concerned. And you take them and multiply them across all the tens of thousands of investors that are in there. Now, all of a sudden, you understand how there's a potential black eye um, for the industry, which I think is very unfair. Um, but again, it comes back to were these people educated and really understood the reality of the situation? I'm going to venture to say the answer to that um, is no. Because most clients are, in all fairness to the advisors, most clients aren't always paying attention. That's true. Okay. It's true. That that's that that's the fair reality. And I think it's um it's one of the reasons why we spend so much time consistently educating our clients because we never want there to be a surprise. Surprises are the worst thing in the world when it comes to <laughs> investing. Because usually they're not to the upside. And I can believe that once this happens one quarter, people are going to get upset and say, Well, I gotta get in there for the next quarter and it's going to snowball. I, I, that is a definite concern of mine. Um as relates to investors and what it does to the overall industry for liquid investments. Because um, again, if you don't understand the liquidity parameters, then you get nervous. And once you feel, if you're not experienced and you don't understand that you're really making this investment for the long term, and all of a sudden you feel like, I can't get my money out when I want to, well, now I want my money back. 
Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, to your point, it snowballs and now more and more people want to get out. And instead of, you know, 6% asking it in a given month, now you have 10%. And now all of a sudden, no one can get out and you're getting dribbles, you're getting 20 cents on the dollar out. And by the way, you're not getting 20 cents on the dollar of your initial investment. You're getting 20 cents on the dollar of your current investment. So now all of a sudden, you're in this position right now where you're getting piecemealed and you're getting a smaller percentage over a smaller number. And it takes forever to get out. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens from an industry standpoint, because again, the whole notion of these funds and the goal is to protect the people who are investing in it for the right reasons in the right way. And it's unfair for people who are going to be long-term investors buying them for the right point. I mean, look, mm-hmm. there's a lot of investors out there, um, whether or not they're young and growing or They're old and sophisticated who don't want to deal with capital call structured funds, who maybe don't want to have the minimums that are required to access some of these capital call structured funds. But they know in their right mind that if I put in $50,000 into a real estate fund, it's an interval fund, and I'm doing it for 10 years because that's what it's designed to do, and I want access to that space, that person wants to have the integrity of the portfolio kept intact because that's what they're doing and that's what they're that's how they're they're utilizing that fund because others aren't doing it that way doesn't necessarily mean those should be penalized and at least i will give credit where credit is due to the fund companies who are managing these vehicles it says no you can't just all get out at a whim if you want to this is the liquidity we're comfortable creating on a quarterly or a monthly basis for the fund because of whether it be cash flow that's coming in, our ability to access credit lines to provide cash while we're waiting for deals to close, all the different things that go into running a vehicle like this, that's the number that they're comfortable with and they've stated it from day one. This is what can get out. And so I respect them for that. I don't hold them, I don't hold anything against them because they're doing exactly what they said they're going to do and they're doing it to protect the integrity of the investor. So I think it's going to be interesting to see over the coming months and years what happens. But we do like the vehicles and I, I want people to understand that. I, I we think, you know, again, the mutual funds are um an interesting dynamic because they're just limited in what they can do from a portfolio construction standpoint. They are fully liquid on a daily basis in and out. And in order to do that, you have to own liquid investments 100%. And so because of that, you have to recognize the limitations of that type of strategy. So you have to have the right expectations. And again, it comes back to what we've done is work really hard over the years to try to mix and match funds together to create sort of a multi-strategy alternative, which we can traditionally access in one hedge fund, but we need to do it in maybe three or four different mutual funds. And they're all going to move differently and we've really guided clients to have, to really think about, yes, you own three or four different funds. We're looking at them as a bucket because it's the only way we can access them. We don't have the ability to wrap it into one vehicle. So yes, maybe XYZ fund is down 10%. Okay. We understand that the market is down more. It's maybe designed to track the equity markets a little bit better. But these two other funds might be up 1%. And when you blend those three together and you're down 3% for the year and the markets are down 20% and bonds are down 15, they can recognize that. 
Okay. Right. And so that's the key is not to look at these funds on an individual basis. It's very important from our standpoint and what we've educated our clients. This is your liquid alternatives portfolio. And so again, you have to know that a lot of statements we see when we're looking to look at prospects, if they do have um, a liquid alternative, they're not generally constructed in that type of manner. They're not. And I it's that that's just a and again, it sort of all comes back to how people do different things and understanding who's got the qualifications to do what. And I think that we've done a lot of work to to put ourselves in a position to succeed. So I think that's kind of you know interesting. So you did mutual fund, interval funds. You've got here on the notes non-traded REITs. Yes. So non-traded REITs to hmm. me are like the like the devil of investments. <laughs> <laughs> They, okay. they 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 don't there's not a lot of them out there anymore um most of them are probably legacy funds but occasionally uh, i have seen things come across non-traded reits are kind of a mix between a real estate hedge fund where you're just maybe putting a chunk of money in at one time to invest in real estate is it a certain type of real estate? They can be different types of real estate. They could be commercial buildings. They could be, you know, multifamily. They could be anything. Okay? okay. But it's more so that you're putting in a chunk of money into a fund, illiquid over a bunch of period of years, and then hoping that you have liquidity because then they start providing the liquidity of these interval funds. And there's a lot, traditionally speaking, in older non-traded REIT funds, there were very high commission rates that mm. were paid to the people who were selling them. So I think there's a massive conflict of interest across the board for most of these non-traded REITs. And that's why I think you know th- there's been a clamp down on them. I don't think there's that many that are out there right now. But for those that are listening, I think if someone's talking to you about a non-traded REIT, I think you have to be very careful um, in terms of what the, the the fees and expenses are as it relates into them, as well as the potential liquidity availability of them. And again, the interval funds are structured in a little bit of a similar manner, but they don't have the fee structures that these non-traded REITs have. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, the interval funds are being run by much larger um, scale organizations than what we've seen on the non-traded REIT side. Um, so it's the liquidity. Again, non-traded REITs are were marketed as liquid investments in real estate. And again, they're just not. So you really have to understand the ramifications of them. And they were traditionally targeted at less sophisticated investors um, because they did not have the um, restrictions that right. the private funds that we utilize have. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, which is something that I want to make sure people who are listening to it understand to to, to perk those ears up a little bit uh, and when you start hearing non-traded REITs. All right. Now you started, I'm sorry, I'm just still laughing at the the devil that you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to me about strategies here. You've been touching on this, but let's wrap it up for people. So um, again, most strategies are available in a liquid format, depending upon how you want to create them. Um, private equity is, is a vehicle that is accessible uh, in a, in a pseudo liquid, not mutual fund environment. 
Um, a lot of these funds are structured with monthly purchases and quarterly, what we call tender periods. Um, so that's something to really be mindful of. So they're set up a little bit like these interval funds. The private equity funds are not necessarily targeted or called interval funds, but they kind of look and smell and act like them, um, which is not a negative. That's just mm-hmm. understanding what they are. And again, they're all designed with the concept of creating some level of liquidity in an illiquid vehicle done to protect the investors who are already in there, who are looking at a long-term investment strategy. So that's one. Uh, Real estate, uh, again, we covered um, pros and cons to it. I I think for people who don't have the ability to access private investments, but understand the long-term benefits of real estate, um, I think there's different interval funds that are structured to achieve different, um, I don't want to say returns, but they're focusing on different investment vehicles. So I think you need to understand what the objectives are. And again, I'll, I'll give two of these funds. Um, there's three funds out there right now that we look at. And I'm, again, not going to name names, but one of them um, you know, is w- was taking in a tremendous amount of money Um we actually avoided that particular fund because they were taking in too much money and we didn't like what they were buying. They were buying mostly exceptionally large um, real estate portfolios, um, a lot of, you know, there could be some hotels that were in there. They were just, it wasn't the targeted space that we happen to like. Again, if you if you listen to our private real estate calls, we like multifamily, we like you know um, industrial space, we like things that are generally trade at smaller value portfolios or properties. Um, so we didn't happen to like that fund. Then there's another fund that we do in, in invest a lot of money with. Um, and again, interval fund. And this particular fund, again, has the same liquidity issues that we talked about, where more people are trying to get out than they're willing to. Um, and so we don't have people who are looking to sell. But for those who invest in that fund, they're not getting every dollar mm-hmm. out this this month. But again, this is a fund that focuses on multifamily, industrial space, things that are defensive, um, high cash flow. Um, so you have to, similar to everything that you do, it's not just about buying an interval real estate fund. Understand what they're buying. Do you like that space? Do you not like that space? Does it make sense? And so making sure that you're working with the people who understand that and aren't just buying a fund because they're trying to get access to private real estate, because you have to understand the nuances of these funds and the amount of money they're taking in and what can they buy and what can't they buy. And that's very, very, very important. Um, On the fixed income side, there's interval funds. Um, Again, you can do this on the liquid side, okay, on the mutual fund side, as we talked about bank loans. Okay, that's a private credit sort of fund that we like, but that's a public credit way to to do it. Um, but on the fixed income side, there's also interval funds that track more in the private markets. Okay, and the interesting thing about interval funds in in private credit is a lot of times they are um, they have investments that are shorter in duration, and even though they're not quote unquote liquid to be sold, there's more turnover. There's more, so, so there's more securities in that portfolio maturing. And sometimes the liquidity structures are a little bit more favorable because they have the cash on hand to do it. And if a fund company can redeem their shareholders without affecting the integrity of the portfolio, they're open to doing it. 
Okay. But they don't want to sacrifice the performance and integrity of a portfolio because more people want to get out than they're willing right. to, to, to allow out in terms of what their documents say. And again, I respect these funds for doing it because if they don't protect the integrity of the investors, then it becomes a problem. So that's another thing. Um, long short equity, again, something that can be done in a mutual fund format. So that's a daily liquid fund that you can access. Um, there's pros and cons to long short equity. It can become more volatile, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, there's also market neutral funds that are uh, another version of long short equity where you're sort of just banking on your ability to better pick the stocks that go up versus the stocks that go down and try to capture a little bit of a delta there. Um, generally less downside risk, but definitely a lot less upside potential. Um, but again, it's an alternative. Okay. And that is an alternative, but it's being done in a, it can be done in a mutual fund format. Um, and there's also interval funds for it. Some of the higher level hedge fund managers do have some interval funds that you can access. Um, again, lower minimums, lower accreditation needed in order to access them. So I think that that's something that's important. Um, and then macro, um, and macro is a very large definition that we're definitely not going to try to define here. But if you think about macro investing is, you know, again, it's a lot of some computerized trading, model trading that's become very, very popular. It's actually what's created, I think, a lot more volatility in the equity markets. Um, these macro funds do have the ability to go long and short equities. They have the ability to go long and short fixed income instruments. Um, you know, it is a fund that we utilize on the liquid side and a mutual fund format. So again, it's something that we think um, can be useful. But again, uh, on a standalone basis, it's not something that we would be interested in. Um, we want to mix it with somebody who can go long and short. We want to mix it, uh, as I said, with an event-driven strategy. We want to mix it with maybe a private credit interval fund. We want to mix it with maybe a real estate interval fund. So the whole concept is is bringing all of these pieces together. And again, the nice thing about these strategies is you're generally dealing with low low minimums. And so because they're low minimums, you have the ability to construct a traditional alternatives portfolio still in the 20 to 30% of an overall portfolio for the client. We're just doing it in a different format. Uh, but we're still able to uh, to achieve it. We're not getting the same returns. I just want to be, you know, people to be understanding about expectations. I think your expectations for returns of liquid alternatives relative to to private alternatives should not be the same level. Um, so I think it's very important for people to have that understanding about that. That's not for every single scenario, but you know, more often than not, we look at our private investments performance relative to the publicly traded investments. Um, or the, you know, let's call it our illiquids versus our liquids. And we, we traditionally see better performance on a like-for-like -like vehicle um, when you're looking at the illiquids versus the, the liquids. All right. Let's wrap it up with, a, a, you've already touched quite a bit, actually, on the pros of liquids, the cons of illiquids, but just wrap it up in a line or two for me. And then let's talk about who are these four? Okay. Um, again, yeah, I, I think we addressed a lot of this to your point. Yeah. I, I think the pros of liquid alternatives are... Uh, accessibility, uh, lower minimums. I think that's really what one of the, the the primary things there. You know how you utilize them. I'll tell you for for many of our clients, we utilize them as a funding source for future uh, private investments. 
because they sort of achieve what we're looking to achieve. Um, we're not looking to take the risks on for the equity markets. We didn't want to, you know, we weren't being compensated by owning fixed income. Uh, so we utilize the liquid alternatives bucket um, to kind of get a return while we sat around and, and waited. That's just how we do them for our larger clients. But for our smaller clients, um, they're great because they give you access to a space as long as you know what you're doing, um, which we think that we do. Um, as long as you know what you're doing, you, you can at least get some semblance of, a, of an alternative investment portfolio going that we think can be exceptionally value. And I think we've done a good job finding them. The cons, again, it's for those who just don't understand, those who are not educated. That's where the cons come into play. There's really no cons um, as long as you know what you're doing and you know what you're investing. The, the pitfalls or the cons that people need to be mindful of are all revolve around what is the fund investing in? All right. Making sure that you understand what a liquid investment, a liquid alternative is. It can't invest in illiquid assets. Okay. It's very difficult for them to do that, if at all. And it creates potential problems if they do. And when they do invest in illiquid investments, then you have to accept some level of illiquidity. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they're very different than our traditional illiquid private equity and real estate funds where there's zero liquidity. These have limited amounts of liquidity, but there is some liquidity. So we do call them liquid assets, liquid alternatives. But again, be mindful. You might not be able to get your money out when you want to. And you have to be comfortable about that because those limitations are there to protect those who are utilizing the funds for the right way. All right. How can listeners reach you if they've got questions? And even if they just have comments. <laughs> if they have comments, I, I guess you can find us on, on LinkedIn and have some comments at our, on our website, on our, on our Hightower LinkedIn, or, or you can find my or find me as well if you want to. Um, in general, though, we, we want clients to go to our website, HightowerBethesda.com. We have all our podcasts there. We have all our blogs. We've got information about who we serve, how we serve them. Really get a good understanding about our team and how we can potentially help you. And from there, you can always reach out to us directly. All right. And follow this podcast. That way, you know, when every episode is out there, share with others. I think you can have some pretty good conversations with this material. And thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Approach Investing Differently. Don't forget to follow the podcast to be notified whenever a new episode is released. Hightower Bethesda is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Bethesda and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions 
or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Bethesda and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.